There it is. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky uh, coming to you. It is Wednesday, Wednesday night, and we are excited to be joined by Anthony Slater from The Athletic. Does a great job covering the NBA, technically covers the Warriors, but also is down to, you know, if you you know follow the Lakers in the playoffs, and you might have. Um, you saw all his work was all over the place. He did great stuff uh, for the athletic um, and the Lakers. Can you confirm, Anthony, oh, by the way, they did win? Yes. The championship? Although Sources. that feels so long ago. I know. Um, also, it was like the second season. Like, I can't believe that was all one season. Um, yeah. <laughs> this, this no, you're was, right. This was something that blew my mind. Um, when LeBron was being interviewed by Rachel Nichols after they won the championship, there was a point where she referenced him being almost 36. He's going to be 36 in December. And it dawned on me that when the season began last year, like in terms of media day, then training camp opening up, LeBron was 34. And he is almost 30 years. Yeah. By the time this thing starts, that's insane. Yeah. No, I've been having, you know, as we write all these stories, and particularly now offseason, you're looking at targets. So you're looking at what year they are in the league, what's their age, blah, blah, blah. It's been, you know, you, you're, you're skipping two years essentially. You know, I'm covering Clay Thompson on the Warriors. He's going to, I believe he was 29 when he tore his ACL. He'll be past 31 potentially by the time. He plays his next well, game. Well, no, it's, it's what's funny about this season is I was I actually started I was a junior in college when 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 this season basically started. right. Yeah. Um, and then I had an internship. Um, I did a you know rose through the ranks and managed to still get done. Uh, but there's it a went, ton of stuff. There's it, a ton of stuff that that I want to yeah. we want to get into. Um, starting with you know we we, we want to you know your experience with the Lakers. You had a really unique thing. Uh, there's the Christmas thing you wrote about Drew Holiday today because trade rumors are starting. I did want to point this out. We spend a lot of time talking about timing and what the NBA does and this and that, whatever. And should the MVP be, you know, done here or there or whatever? Have either of you ever seen anything worse from a timing standpoint than the than Major League Baseball announcing the Gold Glove winners on election night? Did you guys even catch that? That you know, Mookie yeah. Betts and whatever won a Gold Glove Tuesday. It's funny. I mean, anything today would just. Uh, I mean, the the Drew Holiday stuff should have been like pretty major NBA news, right? But it was just like, okay, like yeah. I mean, we can. Seems like we could probably deal with this three days from now. Um, but I remember <laughs> somebody was joking about Nate Duncan, right? Nate Duncan is is mm-hmm. is the NBA podcaster who's like super minutia. You know, he'll be watching Pelicans Hawks, and he's talking about why this back screen in the second quarter. Um, what you know has really opened up the game for the Hawks, and they referenced how last time when when Trump was going to beat Clinton, uh, and that was obviously blowing up our nation, uh, you know, online. He was sitting there tweeting about. I'd argue further. Yeah, um, <laughs> he he was he was tweeting about like again like Pacers Hawks or something like that, and it, it was what we were missing this time. There was like no sporting events. Okay, this, along those lines, um, when Trump won in 2016, that was during. A normal NBA calendar. So mm-hmm. the Lakers were playing a game. I'm like 90% sure it was against Dallas. And at the time, Brian and I were doing post-game uh, Lakers for uh, 710 ESPN, the radio affiliate. So Brian and me and Travis Rogers are doing this show 
while in the we're we're fully aware that the world has just taken this surreal like yeah. you know, historical turn and in the meantime we're breaking down like the ramifications of Lakers Mavericks like you know the night Julius Randall had or whatever like I have never felt in my life like my job is more stupid or insignificant than this particular I'm like who is listening to us tonight who cares about anything we're saying tonight yeah, I can remember um, going to the Warriors practice the next day, and they were filled with a bunch of guys who po- were very politically outspoken. Uh, and I can remember David West coming over for like tw- it was like really somber practice, and David West comes over and like pr- he's like, "I'm going to come over and talk about this." sits down twenty five straight minutes, like pure oh. like zero basketball. Person. I'm jealous you got to be a part of that. David West is a great talker. Yeah, no, he is, and he you know he's he's fascinating. And then obviously Steve Kerr comes over and he's got a lot to say. Um, and I can remember thinking back this year, you know, we were all like, "Man, wow!" Once once November gets here, and I remember thinking, "Man." being around the Warriors in the lead up to that and Kerr and, you know, Curry. Now they, they don't have the West and the Durants that they used to, but I was like, it's going to be very interesting. Cause you know, Trump's gone after Curry before, obviously everything, mm-hmm. but he's politically active, but uh, it ends up, it falls where nothing's really going on in the NBA. There's not, not really any interviews. Yeah. It's, we were in it, it, It's the Laker locker room yeah. was surreal. And like, you could see everybody in that room, whether you're talking players, whether you're talking, Media, Lakers staff, everyone's just like, what just happened? Like, yeah. like what just happened? Yeah, the um, it, it, the crazy thing with the, being around the Warriors the last few years is Trump's really wrapped himself into controversies with the Warriors. I mean, I can remember media day this well, one of the years. Um, so the Warriors had just won their first title and they at the, they were asked at media day, Will you go to the White House? You know, they had gone to the White House the previous time because it was Obama. Hey, do you think you'll go to the White House this year whenever you go to DC? And Curry said no. And then that was the first time Trump tweets. And I, I uninvite you then if you don't want to come. Uh, and then this year, Trump during like a um, press conference, uh, he went after it. It was when Kerr didn't go hard for Daryl. It was the Daryl Morey China situation preseason. Um, and I tweeted out a video of that, and then Donald Trump Jr. is retweeting it, and it gets into right wing media, and then and then Trump's talking about it, and it becomes just like, uh, I like a bomb is set off in the facility. I can remember it's just it has been wild how like politically engaged everything in the NBA has become, and, and the Warriors and Lakers are really kind of ground zero for that. I would say. Did you find your profile increasing on subreddit after that happened? Like <laughs> some of those places. That Steve Kerr has has blown up my Twitter timeline like seven times in the last four years with some Trump comment that gets picked up by you know is it a Ben Shapiro is it a Donald Trump Jr. and like it becomes three straight days of warfare <laughs> like you don't even want to go into the Twitter mentions you're like I I'll just I'm good I got to talk to you in three days and honestly it'll still be three weeks later and there will be an argument that's like you know it's like a threaded argument I'm just like what is going on in here. It's wild. I mean, it's not really a surprise, but it's it's crazy when you get wrapped into it. You really see how deep it can get, kind of in the internet. Funny, yeah, yeah it's <laughs> terrible for you. Funny for us to hear about. It. That's what I mean. There's there's worse things, but it is interesting. So, so like, what you you had an unusual experience of going from covering one team 
and covering a team that wasn't doing anything, like, you know, to being put on another that's, you know, one of the most important teams that was in the league. And I'm obviously, you know, you know the NBA, you know what's going on, but like you had, you know, you weren't the beat writer for the Lakers and you kind of became one all of a sudden. What, what was that experience like? Like, you know, to kind of dive bomb into a team like that? Um, it was fun. It was, I mean, the difference was I wasn't trying to really like compete beat writer wise, reporting wise, like into a locker room, infiltrate, you know, how do I get nice one-on-one interviews with people, that type of stuff that you would normally think because we were all on our couch. Mm-hmm. I didn't have those, you know, deep in rows that, you know, we had a guy, Bill Orm. I know you guys have written some stuff for us. Uh, He's not very I good. I rely on. Hey, hey, hey I love Bill. Uh, hey, but you could, I mean, if you wanted to, you could have just slaughtered him and just, he didn't, but which is nice. Um, no, so I just decided to like, just go pure hoops, you know, stuff that I could just study the stats and, and look at the film. You know, I, I wasn't really trying to necessarily, it was almost, I felt like it was like Lakers analyst a little bit. Um, and it, it was just fun mm-hmm. because I was coming off. Not only was it like, you know, five months of empty, no basketball for anybody, I covered a 15 and 50 team during the year. And I, I'm, you know, I, my beat writing career is three years of the Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook thunder, the three, like, you know, most steaming uh, basketball important years that they've ever had into three years of dynasty warriors. And then suddenly they fall off a cliff. It's 50 to 50. No game had mattered really since November of last year, really a calendar year ago when Steph Curry broke his hand and their season basically ended. Um, so I had been about nine months from like covering like meaningful basketball. Hey, let's like this game kind of matters. What happened on the floor, particularly playoffs. I, I you know, I've covered so many playoffs. I enjoy the, the game by game by game adjustments. So I kind of took that tack with it where I'm not trying to like, I wasn't trying to like bump in and Hey, I'm trying to be the next beat writer. Of the Lakers. Sure. I'm just, hey, I'm just, I'm, I'm sitting on my couch watching this game. I got, it was almost like I felt like I was writing reports off it, like almost school reports off the games. That was kind of what I was trying to do. What I just, your, I, yeah, go, go ahead, ahead, Brian. I was go just, ahead. I think we're asking the same question because it's like it, it's a different perspective because you know you're 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 picking up a team that you had watched from afar and really diving in. What were your impressions of them of, of that Lakers team when you started? And and like, how did they change as you started to see how they operated? Because your again, your perspective was very different than the guys who've been following all year long. Um, I think it was like defense right away. It was like discipline. I was like, this is a um, serious veteran focused uh, team that is. It's not really pinned up as that. If you're just kind of following it, how a lot of people follow the NBA, which is like, hey, Le- oh, LeBron scored thirty four tonight. Uh, Anthony Davis is now there. Uh, LeBron said this in the post-game interview, like that's the headlines, but it was just like, you know, you got into it and it was just, they had take, you know, all the numbers indicated they were an elite defense, like, you know, third ranked, which, which was kind of, I thought, ignored a little bit going into the playoffs. Um, and you could see the championship components, even though they didn't have the third star. Um, but then there was also warning signs. I thought the shooting was like a major warning sign. I remember writing about it a lot going into the bubble. And then you remember they go into those seeding games and they were terrible shooting. Yeah, so they were game. awful. Yeah. Awful. And it was like, I was saying this is a warning sign, but I, it, it's getting, it's worse than I even thought. Um, and I think they were the 22nd ranked offense in the seeding games of 22 teams. Um, but it, the defense carried them. And, and, and I, you could see that from early on. And I, it's kind of, I was mostly cause you know, people were, 
are focusing on LeBron mostly. I was started to kind of tailor my writing. I thought more towards like, hey, let's really dive into Davis because this is a moment in Davis's career. Where is this going? Um, and then also like, hey, let's pay attention to like Vogel and the defense and and what is going on here and and how they you know it's in retrospect it was smartly built. It, you know, it was till they tilted towards defense and it it was built well. I thought w- with what they had at their disposal. Yeah, I mean, and that in and of itself was interesting because I, I, on paper, I wasn't quite sure what this team would look like defensively at the beginning of the season. And, you know, that was in part because, you know, we hadn't seen LeBron with that type of defensive engagement over the course of an entire season. You know, I, I think going back at least a few seasons. And then they, they were 29th ranked in Cleveland his last there. They were the 29th ranked defense. And, that I mean that that tells you all you know as much as yeah. like how much he cared. And look, I mean, and that was a really, really big part of it. I think as big as you know Anthony Davis and his versatility, and just you know the guy is a monster defensively. You know the the improvement and and really the the proving of himself with Caruso because I know last season in his call up he looked really good, like the last month and a half. And looking back on it, it's actually. Very predictable, and I hadn't really thought about it until just talking through it now, but it's actually really predictable that he and LeBron would play so well this year because during that period when Caruso was called up and basically everybody that mattered other than LeBron was hurt, like LeBron really loved playing with Caruso. Like, I mean, it was it was obvious. Like Caruso actually kind of brought him to life for a while during a really dead period. And then eventually LeBron got hurt and he was off the court. You know, like Avery Bradley is one of those guys that people argue about him, you know, eye test versus analytics all the time defensively. Like there were a lot of, you know, you didn't know what you would have in Dwight Howard on a lot of levels. Like there were, there were a lot of different question marks that I wasn't sure about how they would, how they would translate defensively. But as you were saying, they, they either got a little bit lucky knew some things that the rest of us didn't know, or maybe a bit of both. But their defense will be one of the better teams I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I, I think they got lucky with Howard. Uh, I think we could all say that, right? They were going to go with Cousins. And even you know, even if Cousins doesn't tear his ACL, I think that doesn't work out that well. Um, you know, I thought Pope was better than expected defensively in the playoffs. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, that is like – he really shored up was their weakness, right? I mean, it was like, uh-oh, without Avery Bradley, they're exploited perimeter-wise. I think too much a lot of times, you know, when we break down series, especially going into them, it's like Lillard versus Pope. You know, who's going to win that match? It's like, okay, they're not just going to leave him on an island. But it was like Pope was good enough as the front-line defense that you could set up the backside without worrying about him just getting completely toasted. Um and, you know, Defensive Player of the Year plus LeBron James, who at any time can turn into an all-defensive league. He's not an all-defensive team player in the regular season for reasons No, only all, when he needs to yeah. be, right. But suddenly when when you have, you know, whatever, name your best wing, suddenly with Tony Allen, it, you can be Tony Allen for five minutes. Like, not not many other people, not many other stars even can do that. It's kind of a Ka- Kawhi's uh, skill, too. So, yeah, like you said, maybe we should have seen him coming more. And then I've, I wrote about it. it. He got his credit more during then, but like Frank Vogel did a great job. <laughs> like he just, he did. Uh, and he's such a dull personality and, and he doesn't give good quotes. 
Um, I think that's part of his appeal to LeBron. I think that's why LeBron likes him. Um, that he just wasn't talked about much, but I mean, he just he clearly pushed all the right defensive buttons at the right times. So a quick question here from Sector Cruz on the chat. Uh, did we give up too much for AD asking for a friend? And I know he's actually joking, um, but it's it's a fun it's a fun it's a funny put. I put it up there because, like you know, we're getting back into that season where you have to start making just you know deciding what you do to improve a team to you know to improve the Lakers or whatever it might be. Um, like that at this point, the Lakers have already justified like everything that they've done. This, this deal's with, paid for itself with that deal. Trading Kuzma, you can do well. You can do whatever you want from here. It's it's this part of it's already worked out. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is um, you know their situation in, in a lot of ways mirrors the Clippers, where both teams really at the, in the same summer mortgaged it all for you know the Clippers move was really for Kawhi and Paul George, but we'll say for Paul George, uh, and then the Lakers did the same thing with Davis and. The Clippers flame out in the playoffs, and suddenly you're like, "Whoa, this might have been a horrific move." Uh, if if that doesn't go well next year, and then suddenly that core breaks up, it's like you you mortgage what was really kind of a, a solidly set future, and don't get the payoff of a title. But because the Lakers didn't flame out, you guys are right. I mean, it, it's it's already a win. It could be a win win. It could be a win for New Orleans too. I think it actually end up will end up being. I, it's I, I hope that's the case because really you you want that to happen as much as yeah. it's like fun. It can be really fun to dunk on one team that absolutely, you know, gets abused in a trade. I mean, the truth is, dunk on it's them. Well, it's just it's well, I mean, because we all everyone loves Schadenfreude. I mean, come on, it's a, it's a national yeah. sport on Twitter. But the truth is, it's better not just for the league, but it's actually better for basketball fans if these trades work out on both sides because you get more good teams. Well, particularly with Ingram, uh, if that works out, you know. Where I know the Lakers don't want it to work out for New Orleans is if suddenly the Lakers, you know, LeBron ages quicker than expected, and, and and some of those picks they owe turn into lottery picks. Then New Orleans is really cashing in. Same with the with the Thunder and the Clippers. Right, but they uh, already won a title. Like they, yeah. you know, the LeBron AD, they've already. No, it's won a win. And I, yeah, I mean, it's if a win, AD like, walks, it's a win. Like he's not going to, but if he did, it would be a walk. If he takes LeBron with him. I mean, it yeah. sucks. I'm not saying I'm not saying that's a good result. I'm just a lot saying of it's, it was everything they've done is already worth it. You correct, um, but to the original, you kind of brought Brian. You brought it up originally in the premise of the question of we're hitting transactional season. Is you know part of what I wrote about today was about this Drew Holiday you know rumor that gets floated out there. So you start looking, you know, what packages could get it done, and you look at Lakers and the Clippers, who I think both want to make a big move and you know the Lakers is probably going to have to end up being mid-level maybe it's via trade but you you do feel the pain of what both of those teams gave up when you start to look at the packages they could put together for a true holiday and you're just like I don't think they can get there because you know they mortgaged it for clearly for the Lakers a correct move I'd probably still argue for the Clippers it was a good move I'd almost blame Kawhi for forcing the Clippers uh almost holding them hostage to make it that much that they gave away. But it is, I mean, as we peer forward, as we talk about rebuilding this, all the rosters in the league over the next month, um, the Lakers are kind of don't have the assets you, you would necessarily want, although they could run it back and I'd be fine with it, but it's just interesting. Who, who, um, who do you think the Lakers, cause I agree with you. I mean, it would be difficult for them to get drew holiday 
beyond the the assets, just like coming up with a salary, like the Lakers are in a position where they don't really have a lot of flexibility and, and you know a ton of ability to. Danny, just, Danny Green is that sure. that fifteen million dollar Danny Green piece where he's very you know expendable. That's the one that can get oh, you something, but. Okay, like who do you who do you think then they could target? I mean, and you probably would end up having to throw in Kuzma as the sweetener. I mean, unless yeah. you're Caruso's go- deal is not bad. I honestly like if I don't I'm think the team, Lakers want to get rid of him. Yeah, no, I mean, but you know, if you're getting if you're going for a Drew Holiday, you're giving up Caruso. Um, I think Victor. I actually Oladipo, stop here for a second. Yeah, I mean, as a as a pure basketball move. It's, it's, you are upgrading. Drew, Drew Holiday is really good. All-star. Fringe what all-star. do you think the reaction would be given the cult status of, of Alex Caruso at this point? And his utility. Traded him? That's more a question for you guys because you guys are more like plugged in, I'd say, to like the, the, the purest level of the Lakers fan base. But how I usually view <laughs> fan bases. By pure, you mean insane? Yeah, well, exactly. Um, but how I usually view fan bases is they will go insane, and then Drew Holiday will score twenty five and like lock down Damian Lillard in opening night against the Blazers. Well, yeah, and, and right. then they'll go insane for Drew Holiday. Oh, great, and it's great, it's great. it's the equivalent of spending the summer. Like, yeah, I remember spending a lot of last year, or I think it was last year. So I don't know. It was a long time ago. Trying to remind people, like, no, it's Anthony Davis. Like, it's a, but like, but we gave up pick swaps and we, you know, they're, they're all these first rounders, this and that, but like, but it's Anthony Davis. And then you go watch him play and you're like, oh, oh, okay, I got it. I see why it is. And so, um, yeah, but I mean, like, look, in fairness, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, I like all three of them. None of them are getting a statue like Caruso. No, I mean, that's, a, that's a done deal. I've never, re- I've never referred it. to any of those people as a soaring eagle of majesty. I see a comment already talking about Caruso yeah. right here. Huh? Yeah, I Jay think, Leggett. I think uh, you can trade. Be you could trade Caruso for like. Giannis, I think. I think Lakers fans. Now you're now you're sounding like a Warriors fan right there. (laughs) Talking about about Giannis possibilities. Um, I like Oladipo as a trade fit. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, because it's you don't. I I feel like he's the bargain bin of the the superstar shopping the summer because he he's you know his stock is dipped with the injury. the relationship with the Pacers doesn't seem to be going that well. The Indiana seems to be rebuilding, reforming. You know, obviously they just got a new like developmental coach. Oladipo only has one year left on his deal. To me, he's the guy you could do something like a you know a Danny Green. You give up Kuzma because that's just kind of like you said the sweetener, uh, and you take a chance with Oladipo looking like his past self. And if he doesn't, you pull the plug quick and and you have more cap space really the summer after with uh let's i want to get back to what how oladipo would look and like with not just with the lakers but i i just think he's such an intriguing player generally and uh, you know is in a, in a summertime with so few or kind of keep calling it the summer in a fall yeah. with so few players that um it's damn near winter <laughs> that it is um <laughs> that can really make a difference that are available you know he becomes a, a really out a player of, of, of outsized importance. But you you mentioned Kuzma. I agree, he's sort of the sweetener. How big of a sacrifice really would it be for the Lakers to let him go? I Especially mean, when you consider they got to pay him next year. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, like I, 
if I'm a team, I don't, he, he's losing value as he exits his rookie contract, clearly searching for a contract right now where if you agree to what he's going to be asking for, I mean, I, I think, I don't know, I'm assuming he's going to be asking for his max, but I mean, he probably at this point thinks I, that he better get what, 14, 12 to 14 million at least, although it's such an unsettled financial time. Um, you know, like I, I'm asking you guys, like, how comfortable are you feeling about Kuzma? You can't give him that kind of money. He doesn't. He doesn't have a place on this team for regardless of his, regardless of whatever you think Kuzma's potential may be. He is not in a place to fully reach. It it reminds me of years ago when Jordan Farmar, during his first stint with the Lakers, you know, he very. Very openly, and I think you know down the stretch as as he sort of accepted it, he ch- he kind of chapped against his role in the triangle, and he clearly didn't feel like he was being used well, and he kind of fought against the way Phil wanted to use him. And on one hand, I thought you know I wrote about it then said it then that I thought Jordan was overrating himself as a player, but in fairness to Jordan, he was actually correct that the triangle didn't play to his strengths and that that whatever potential he had whether you know it was closer to what I thought he had closer to what he thought he had it was not going to be reached playing in that system in that role for, for Phil it, it just and he was correct about that and i think there's a lot of that going on with Kuzma not cuz of system but just there's a redundancy with him and LeBron and Anthony Davis all on the same team like positionally, functionally, there's only so much I think Kuzma can do on this team, regardless of what you think he's capable of in theory. He had a, he had an interesting bubble. Uh, I remember going in, and I you know I really kind of studied his uh, season. It was really bad, right? I mean, I mean I'm talking pre pre bubble. Um, shot it horribly from three. I think he was like a bottom five as far as if you look at volume of three point attempts in percentage. I think he shot twenty nine percent on you know a lot of attempts um plus not great inside the two-point line and then you know the defensive tape was bad the defensive numbers were you know team Aside numbers were that mrs lincoln yeah yeah Jeez. I know. <laughs> so i was like really down on him going in the bubble and then i remember for like right out the bat remember lakers clippers he was like guarding Kawhi pretty well on switches and really through those seating games like this guy's kind of like you know, realizing what he can be defensively while also he had a pretty good seeding games, I think, offensively. Then in the playoffs, I thought he was solid in the first round against Portland uh, defensively. Tailed off in that sense. And then offensively, I don't think he scored 20 once in any playoff game. And that was the thing. You always thought, even if he's, you know, not great, he's going to have those random nights. He's going to have three random 24-point playoff nights. Just never came. Um but I would probably say I was slightly impressed with him defensively and then definitely disappointed with him offensively in the bubble. And then you go into the summer, you can't extend him unless he's like willing to take. You know what? You know. And that, that's the thing. Let me ask you this, though. I saw um, uh, Silver Screen and Roll did a little bit of aggregation. Either they did some – I can't remember. They either did some aggregation or they actually had Brian Windhorst on. I, I can't recall. But he was talking about this with Kuzma – and he, and I hope I'm uh, relaying this exactly the way he said it, but he, he had actually said that he thought it was worth extending Kuzma 
you know, assuming the money was reasonable, oh, right? Because, for because he becomes more, well, it's also because he becomes more, exactly, he becomes more of an asset. Like he actually becomes more of an asset in theory for the Lakers, you know, when it comes to. Because uh, you have him under contract. Right. Well, you build a salary slot that you don't yeah, have. That's 15, 15 million bucks or 16 million. That's why I like Green. That's why I think Danny Green is just like blaring at me, like trade piece, trade piece, because he's 15 million. He's expendable in the rotation the way he played. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's that's. It's an interesting way of thinking about it. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's it's the way the Warriors have kind of built their roster with these like salary pieces. I mean, they got D'Angelo Russell knowing that they didn't want D'Angelo Russell long term because it was going to be flipped. Now it's Wiggins, and now Wiggins can be Wiggins, but it's also partly because he's the the salary slot. They have a seventeen point two million dollar trade exception. There are two ways to look at things: player, you know, and the, and then their salary slot. So. Um, Maybe, but the, but what if you just get saddled with an extension of a Kyle Kuzma at fourteen a year, and he's not that good again this upcoming season, and well, then it, he yeah, becomes an albatross contract, right? But my, so the question I have though is like, where where is there a team? Because obviously on this team, Kuz, you know, isn't going to get the role with AD and LeBron, right? You 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 don't give that to Kyle Kuzma. When one of those guys is out, he always, you know, he scores 20 points a game. He looks like a real scorer. Where can he go, though, where he would be a top two, top, you know, top three guy where maybe the top two aren't quite so dominant as, as those? Because if, if you can't play him that way, he's probably gonna, on a really good team, ends up looking like he does in the Lakers. You make it wonder if he's worth the money. But then if he doesn't, my God, like that team's terrible. If Kyle yeah, I was going to say, player. Yeah, where does he go? Well, let's look at the bottom of the standings. <laughs> you know, you got to be about <laughs> Kyle Kuz. Yeah, um, you know, I think long term, if he wants to be in a winning environment, he is what he was in the playoffs. Now he has to probably score a bit better, maybe more aggressive. Which I thought I didn't think I was going to say. I thought he was going to be overly aggressive offensively in the playoffs, and I almost thought he was like tentative. Um, but you know, six eight wing that theoretically can guard multiple positions in can occasionally hit the three and, and slash and score a bit like there there's value to that in the league um but the problem is i think we all know kyle kuzma what how i just describe what kyle kuzma really is on a winning team that's not how kyle kuzma would describe himself you know as a winning component so um you know like i said the They'd pacers the third person in the same way yeah, I mean, I mentioned the Pacers. I did because I do think that uh, Oladipo, like it, it, it makes sense to me, and as a trading partner, and then you get him there, and I mean, he could, he could get fourteen shots a game in Indiana. Like well, they could try it out. If he's not good, you don't you don't give him a big extension. Yeah, he's in an interesting place. I think Kuzma just in the sense that defensively, he improved a lot in the playoffs. Like he played some of his best defense all season. And I remember right when the when the Lakers brought in Markeith Morris, I wrote a piece for the Athletic about how, you know, and this could be seen as a referendum on Kuzma, if for no other reason than everything with the Lakers was always a referendum on Kuzma. But like the way that team was configured, where you already have LeBron, you already have Anthony Davis, some of the other the other bigs that they have there, and a bunch of guards that at the time none of them were making a case to be taken out of the rotation. And you know Danny Green as their you know sort of quasi three, Kuzma was going to have to prove himself as a wing 
or else he could have really ended up seeing his minutes drastically reduced, assuming Markeith played well. And I asked him about that, and he said that for whatever it was worth, he always saw himself as more of a wing than a four anyway. And he said defensively, especially, he thought he was much better suited there. His offense was really inconsistent, but defensively he got better. It's just going to be really interesting to see if he can ever find that type of consistency on both ends. Because for a while he had the scoring down, but the defense was non-existent. And this year he sort of trended in the other direction. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the league has really killed the modern four in a lot of ways where it's just really, are you pretty much a point guard, a winger, or a big at this point? And he fits the modern game. I mean, he makes sense to me as a you know six foot eight wing like i said with those abilities but it's just how does he see himself you know and i'm i'm curious about that going forward again i mean what did you guys think about him offensively in the playoffs because if you would have had me guess before the playoffs how he was going to go offensively i was i would have said a few almost michael porter junior's offensive playoffs or it was like mm-hmm. a few 21 point games a few zero point games Nights yeah, where you're like, very dude, much why? like he was during yeah. the season. Yeah. Yeah. I, dude, I was, he, yeah, but, but he was like consistently like eight points and didn't shoot that much. And I was, I think the biggest thing, the biggest surprise to me was that it didn't matter. Yeah. It, it, you know, I mean, I, I, I actually, I thought it was, I thought it was at times reflective of him being very aware in a constructive way of what was going on and like what he needed to do that night, not forcing things for the sake of doing it. He got into those little battles with, with Porter jr. Yeah, like, that, they matched yeah. up with each other, you know, that did not Boy, go the, well. The, the TNT crew wanted that rivalry so badly. Chris. Well, Weber, yeah. Right? And so did he, apparently. Yeah. Weber yes, like yeah. kept keying in on it. I yeah. It was funny. Yeah. I remember like the first couple of times Weber was, was talking about that and fixing. I'm like, are you sure Kuzma and Michael Porter Jr. have ever even met? Like, I I don't see this rivalry. Like, this is kind of bizarre. Like, I, I don't know if those two have ever even been on the court at the same time in, until the, these playoffs began. No, it, but, I mean, it, was you could say, it was a thing. They, they, you know, Kuz especially would come back. You know, if Porter hit a shot on one end, it was pretty much guaranteed Kuz was going to take one on the other. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was enjoyable though. That, um, I, but you you mentioned Oladipo, and you know, there's Oladipo. You've written about Drew Holiday. You know, Gallinari's on the market. There are some there are some guys out there, but it's a pretty soft free agent class. Um, it's a relatively soft class of you know disgruntled semi quasi stars who want to go from one place to another, whatever it might be. Who are the guys, you know, if if um you know somebody like Holiday's not coming to the Lakers, not coming to Clippers, as you outline it, probably not going to Golden State. Who are the players who you think can kind of swing what next year looks like by moving from one team to another? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned a name I like for the Lakers, Gallinari. Um mm-hmm. yeah. you, you saw what Markeith Moore when Markeith Morris was put on the floor with Davis as the stretch four. Like what that did for the Lakers' offense, I you know I'll look up the numbers at some point. But Davis and Morris on the floor together was a major plus in the playoffs. Particularly, I remember in the Houston series. And I mean, this is historically they what how Davis has always been most effective, or at least how his team has always been optimized was him and Nikola Mirotic in New Orleans. That was the yeah. best Pelicans team was him and a shooting big next to him. Right. Um, Markeith Morris really isn't that good, but the fact that he's just a stretch big 
unlocked it. So like now we're talking about Gallinari is a good stretch big, um, which is when the, the salary cap numbers get interesting. When what are the final, what's the final tally on where they put the cap and where they put the tax. And what does that mean with, can the Lakers spend the full tax uh, mid-level or the taxpayer mid-level? Because if they can get that full mid-level around like 10 million, that elevates them beyond desperate teams like the Warriors who can only, you know, pay 5.6 or something like that. And I think most, even Gallinari, who you'd probably consider, what, like the sixth best free agent, maybe even higher than that. Higher than that, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so third best. I mean, I would go Van Fleet, and I think there's a couple others. But um, I'm not sure there's going to be many guys getting beyond 10, and 10 is basically the line for your full. So if the Lakers – if, if the numbers come down and the Lakers are able to spend that, I think that they, they'll have a competitive offer for a guy like Gallinari. And, and I do think that's a great fit. Yeah. He's just, I mean, that's the thing about him. It's like, is he better than Van? Like it's hard, but he's, he's so tailored to tailored to step onto almost any good team and help them that I think he becomes probably one of the, you know, the two or three most valuable guys that are out there. I, if I could choose between him and Oladipo, I would take Gallinari. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know where you guys would would come on that. I just because of fit, yes, uh, and, and what the Lakers need, I would agree. What's interesting is like the lack of cap space teams. I mean, what is there's like four, and I think Hawks, and you know, I mean, they're teams that aren't good. So, you know, the Lakers will be a destination, and particularly if they can pay the full full uh, mid level. Well, especially too, I think Gallinari is a guy that makes sense just because he's already made a ton of money. Mm-hmm. So he, at this point, he he's in a position where if he wants to take a you know a relative market cut for you know what he could make for a legitimate opportunity to win a championship, that's at least going to be more appealing than you know somebody like Fred Van Vliet. I mean, he's out of the conversation for the Lakers. They're not yeah. going to be able to afford him. And there are other guys like you know like. I'm guessing, may I mean maybe Jeremy Grant, but I'm guessing he's going to be out of that conversation too. And and he's never been paid. Like he's yeah. one of those guys that he's going to be looking rightly for the most money possible. Because I think Denver keeps him anyway. I think they yeah. will. Too. They well, especially him. with bird rights. That's yeah. that's what's interesting is a lot of these. I think you're going to see a lot of re-signing with current teams because sure. you know I look at. Because uh, you know I've mapped this out for the Warriors for seven months now. Who do they go after? And it's like Marcus, Serge Ibaka are two, um, you know, key guys that they would love because they really do need center help. But it's like Toronto. What? Well, while other teams can't pay Gasol and Ibaka. Toronto could just float a one-year, twenty-million-dollar deal um, because they have the bird rights, uh, and then, and then they could just run it back into that twenty-one free agency. So. What's interesting about Gallinari is we know he's not going back to his current team. Whereas Grant, I agree. Grant Denver's yeah. Denver will probably give him seventeen million to stay. And they, I mean, they also they they traded a first to get him. Like yeah. I mean, and, and I really like Jeremy Grant. I don't know if he's good enough to sacrifice a first round pick as a rental. So yeah. you, you definitely want to try. Plus to he just him. he made a tremendous difference for them. Yeah, he was no, really good. good. Yeah, you know who you're not keeping if you're them? Paul Millsap and Mason Plumlee. Grant has to be the priority. I wanted to ask you, because we were talking about uh, Drew Holiday, and you have a piece up for The Athletic about the the California teams that would theoretically try to get Drew Holiday, you know, their ability to get, uh, you know, their ability to put themselves in that position. 
What are you expecting for the Warriors moving forward? Because, I mean, we haven't seen them at full strength in a while. Like, we don't even know what full strength looks like with them. Well, they don't either because, I mean, they have been planning for a while to to be aggressive this summer. And I say summer, as we talked about earlier, this winter now. Um, it's, they it's they duck the tax purposely at – yeah. I know they ducked the tax purposely at the deadline, which was almost a year ago, the trade deadline um, to because and, and in the press conference afterwards, explaining the moves, the Wiggins for Russell swap and how that got them under the line. Um, it was like, cause they're going to use this massive trade exception that they got that I'm sure you guys have heard plenty about. It's the Andre Iguodala one, 17.2 million. It's a very rare weapon where they can particularly right now, when you're going to have a lot of teams probably trying to shed money because of what's going on financially, they can just take in a guy that makes up to 17.2 million. Um, so if they use that, that's a, that's suddenly you got, you got a seventh man, you go get Rudy Gay for free basically. Um, and then they have the second pick in the draft that is two weeks from tonight, by the way, that's really coming up. Oh my I, God, that's crazy. Yeah. I've been advocating James Wiseman for them. Uh, I, I think he makes the most sense. We don't have to get too deep into that, but the fact is they either have a tool to trade at the second overall pick, or they're going to have like a really appealing rookie, um, also part of their rotation. Trying to remember who I was listening to um, on a podcast that was also advocating. Um, you know, now that I think about it, I wonder, weren't you recently on a Ringer podcast? Yes, I did. I, you know, what? now that I think about it, I, it was you. Well, <laughs> I think it actually was you, Anthony. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I mean, I've I've been I've been banging the Wiseman drum to the Warriors for a while now. And, and I honestly, I think the playoffs strengthened my thought with that because you're seeing Jokic and Davis dominate the West. Um, and also internally, they have shifted their brains a lot more towards Wiseman. I'm not saying that's a for sure pick at this point. I think the, the, the right, uh, a good trade would move them off that pick if it's there. Um, but the fact with two things with the Warriors, we just don't know what their full – team's going to look like where if we look at the Lakers they can help you know they could make a big move but mostly it's on the margins I think and the Clippers saying Warriors I think could really kind of juice juice it up uh, juice their roster just because they have more tools um, but the other thing is that requires them to spend the most money on a roster in NBA history spend the most tax ever and when they thought they were going to do this they also thought Chase Center was going to be filled Correct. with yeah. concerts this summer. Okay, it was definitely you on the Ringer podcast because <laughs> I made that point. <laughs> made that sure. point as well. It was a really, it was a really good point. What's yeah. what, what is it? What is the number two pick? Is like you, the finances start to get really. You know, sometimes you don't want to trade a star for a pick or whatever. But on the flip side, if you're a team that doesn't want to spend a lot of money, now you can take a giant chunk of your payroll away. What is the number two pick worth in this draft? During a pandemic, uh, well, as far as like what he'll make on the like he at it's I think he's like eight the number two. No, I just mean like it. what does he worth yeah. like in terms of if you want to trade that? What can you get? Because you know, some, some teams mean, might be more excited to get a dude like that. Some teams might hold. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what teams are thinking. It's kind of what yeah. I'm getting at. I think the main thing. I I don't think the financial situation scares people off. I think it's just like it's not that considered that good of a draft. Um, mm -hmm. you know, John Morant was the number two pick last year, and John Morant would far and away be the number one pick this year. There isn't a John Morant, there certainly isn't a Zion type prospect. Um, but the truth is, you just need one team to fall in love with a prospect that they can get it to. And at this point, pretty much, you, you know, any team can believe that anybody on the board can be available to. Um, so 
it, it just takes one. But the truth is, I, I just don't think the offers are that good. Now, because they have this really good, you know, unique vehicle of the $17.2 million trade exception, they're ha- I floated the idea of you, you, you drop back from two to 10 with Phoenix and you take Kelly Oubre the last year of Kelly Oubre's contract. And suddenly you walk, yeah, you walk out draft night with Kelly Oubre as your sixth man and Tyrese Halliburton or whoever you want at 10, essentially. What Uh, happens to, what happens to Wiggins in that scenario? He's, he's on, he's on the roster too. Um, And they pay the most tax average. Joey Lightyear's Lake of has proven uh, that, that ownership can be a competitive advantage. Now, is he willing to pay that? We'll see. Um, But yeah, I mean, you could you could play Wiggins. I mean, they're going to prefer to play small, I think, a lot next year. They're looking at Draymond as a center. I mean, particularly in this uh, new age where you don't want to have two non-shooters on the floor. So, uh, I you know, the, the other one, I think Bill Simmons floated out there. I don't like it for Boston, but he said Marcus Smart, and I think Celtics might have the 17th pick. Same thing. You switch from two to 17. And the Warriors get Marcus Smart. I like that for the Warriors because that is a playoff proven piece. Mm-hmm. Although he's a great playoff player, man. Yeah, he is. Like he's one of those guys that is just great for a team looking to make a real run in the playoffs. Yeah, and and Boston's entering some some financial you know trickiness with some of these extensions. You know that I think that Tatum extension might kick in next year, and Brown's coming up. I mean, they're about to get really expensive. Uh, so maybe that's a possibility. I, Josh Richardson, if Philly kind of rearranges what they're doing, I, I've, I've floated out there as, as a trade exception candidate for the Warriors, but um, it requires them to spend. And you know, I, I don't know. I don't think they're going to have a fan in Chase Center maybe all of next year. I mean, San Francisco is the safest of of the municipalities too. Maybe you should. Maybe you should. What they should do is just offer people the opportunity to bubble there. Like you can watch Warriors games, but you're never allowed to leave the Chase Center. Well, they have these bunker suites that are uh, cost two point five. You have to rent them for ten years, um, and you have to pay. You have to basically commit to twenty five million over ten years. You pay two point five per year, and they are so, like Salesforce. The company has one. Mark Benioff. He actually has two, and they like blasted out the wall. But it's a it's a suite. So you're down under the arena in like a suite, and then you walk out. And instead of you know, suites are usually second level. It's like fifth row. It's, it's really cool. Wow, and those are like little mini bubbles. Honestly, I've been in. I've been. I in. just think that that would be a, a. You could absolutely find people if you're the NBA and you need content or your team and you need something to put online. You could absolutely find people who would be willing to live in your arena in exchange for being able to watch NBA. Games. It'd, be, it'd be like that Tom Hanks movie, The Terminal. Remember exactly. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say. Thought you were gonna say Castaway. I was like that. That one. Well, too. It's a little like both, except you get like every once in a while people come to your island. Yeah, that's not, I mean, I'm sure some journalists would love to do that too. I'm not, you know, <laughs> suggesting <laughs> myself for that. I I am not throwing myself out there. I I like. I remember when uh, there was the idea of you know which journos would be going to the bubble. You know, I. There's a part of me that would have wanted to see what it was like, like just to be there for a week, something Maybe, like that. Yeah, like, to, that's but beyond that, like I had no desire. As much as I recognize, like the real opportunity of being a part of legitimate sports history. I mean, like something that is, God willing, not going to be replicated anytime soon. Like the the flip side is, man, being there as long as people like. 
you know, Malika Andrews or Kyle Goon or people. I mean, that's insane. It was, a, it was over a hundred days. I, I remember when that was like the big thing that they, like Chris yeah. Haynes, dudes like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and ladies salute to all of them because that's unbelievable. Yeah. I remember when the, um, you know, it was right around what, March 8th, 10th. Um, and we were all starting to grasp what was going on pandemic wise. Um, the Warriors announced no fans. We're going to mm-hmm. be at the, at the, Nets Warriors home game at the end of this homestand and everyone like Mark Stein was going to fly in for the game uh I was remember talking to Raymond Ritter their PR guy and this is the day Gobert that night would get the positive test and then bye-bye season but in the lead up that day the Warriors held a press conference talking about we're having no fans how are they going to do it they're going to you know and it was like mind-blowing that this was going to happen this NBA game with no fans in it uh, and yeah, CNN was coming, like news networks were coming. Um, and then that was supposed to be this unique experience. And then, yeah, you're right. That seems like, yeah, that's next season now at this point. That's just how I view next season probably going to be where the bubble, no thank you on the bubble. Um, I can't imagine having to do that. In Disney World too, it's just like, it's almost like uh-huh. a weird dream. What do you think the, uh, because Andy's got a game we got to get to before the end of this. What do you think the, uh, the, because uh, the, the reports today, I believe it was, might have been yesterday. Again, good day for a news dump. Um, if you don't want people to notice what you By the doing. way, do we have a president yet? I haven't. To the best of my knowledge, no. I think so. I have not seen that come over Twitter. On, hey, folks watching on the chat, if we have a president during, between now and the end of the show, please do let us know. I, I am 100% sure it's still not Kanye. But as far as Trump or Biden, not not sure. I saw yeah, my quite that. frankly, if it if it's if shit starts to get real ugly, like all of a sudden we have less certainty than we did, like let us know that too. Um Arizona, Arizona. I'm a, I don't trust that yet. I don't yeah. trust that. Oh uh, yeah, no, my I saw my old state, Oklahoma, six thousand votes for Kanye. I think they were like the third most. <laughs> oh, Wow, it's a protest vote. Wow, um, I, I, um, sure what, what news came out like the players are probably going to agree, you know, seem likely to agree to that December 22nd start and the extra 500 million dollars or whatever that comes with it and, and being able to play on Christmas and all this. So, not a surprise because, uh, well, the yeah. vast majority of the NBA is not going to uh, give up all that revenue because LeBron is tired. So, I, what does that mean though for the West and for? The, you know the the division i mean it, especially since that you might find unbalanced travel where these guys you know inside the pacific play each other 12 times in a season yeah. or whatever it is yeah no that i think it's you know i think it's probably good for the warriors cuz they, they they'll be motivated more than i think the clippers or lakers coming out where they haven't played since march 10th um they're going to be rusty but they were going to be rusty if they waited until january Either way, now I think there, you know, there was going to have this rust concern compared to a team like the Lakers, Nuggets, Clippers, where I think that now gets offset because it's like, yeah, they're rusty, but man, they're going to be a lot more motivated to play on December twenty second. Spry, yeah. Um, so, but what does that mean long term? And I think we all know from covering like good Western Conference teams. Okay, the Lakers are the four seed entering the playoffs. Doesn't matter that you know the Warriors are the two seed. Eh, whatever. Um, it, what you I am curious about the scheduling. Um, yeah, and, you know, are we talking about Warriors, Lakers, Clippers play like a you know six game round robin against each other in L.A. and then they go up to the Bay and do the same thing? Are the Kings involved? Uh, are we talking about baseball type series? 
Um, do they do- I actually think that'd be really fun? That's a really yeah, I would, cool idea. I, I wouldn't mind seeing them experiment with something like that. Yeah. Uh, will there be East Coast trips at all? Uh, if 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 you cutting down a lot of the East Coast, you know, schedule, like you know, these teams are going to beat up on each other. Suddenly, like you know, the West records aren't going to look. Usually, the the West kind of feasts on the East, and that's why their schedule or their uh, the standings are kind of boosted. Um, so it, it'll be interesting. Uh, I'm curious how they do opening that. Like, how safe do they play with the Lakers? Are they going to schedule all these Lakers marquee games because they're the Lakers, and then suddenly it's well, no you saw. Long. I'm sure you saw Ethan uh, Ethan Strauss's yeah, proposal of the staggered start, where or maybe you make the player Lakers play like a game on Christmas and then let them sit for a week and a half or whatever it might be. Do you think that something like would the NBA consider something like that? I think, yeah. I don't think they would say. Like, hey, Warriors, you're starting December 22nd. Lakers, you're starting January 15th. I don't think they do that. But I could see them basically go, you know, it is Warriors-Nets is the marquee opener where it's, you know, Durant against the Warriors, two ready-to-go teams, and it's Lakers-Hornets, Lakers-Magic early. You know, maybe you have one Lakers-Clippers game on Christmas and you just, like, beg the main guys to play by also saying – you're going to get two day, two days off after, you, and you're going to backload your schedule. Definitely backload your national TV games, um, and, and it'll be spread that way. Right. Yeah, I would I would tweak Ethan's idea a little bit because his concept for Christmas, in terms of trying to let the teams that went further into the playoffs, in particular the Lakers and the Heat, but I would also argue, argue Denver and Boston. He had an idea where other than the Nets, just because the version of the Nets that was in the bubble isn't really the Nets, you would have this slate of all teams that didn't make the playoffs on Christmas Day. You you can showcase a lot of guys who hadn't been seen in a while, and you would stagger things out for you know the Lakers and some of those other teams. I would tweak it so where teams that got eliminated in the first round could also be potentially there. Because then all of a sudden you're opening this up for the Blazers with Damian Lillard and you know CJ McCollum, you're opening it up for the Sixers, who are going to have a lot of attention this year. And those guys are getting still a really long run. They're yeah. basically getting the same offseason you would normally have. Yeah, what I'm trying to think of when the first round would have ended. What it was like August 15th ish was round one. So the, Some, like the Blazers like probably September. got a limit. The Something Blazers like probably that. got eliminated on like August 27th. So they would have had September, October, November. You get to camp in December. Yeah, that's yeah, it's basically the same. That's and then fine. You, and then you open yourself up to more marketing possibilities while still giving the teams that need the most rest, you know, that type of time. Like that, right. that's the tweak I would make for Ethan's suggestion. But I think his suggestion was really good. Yeah. Also, the other thing is like this is not I the the bubble does make you know, mentally and physically it, it was different, but this wasn't an eighty-two game marathon into the playoffs. You know, a nine-month season. They got what like four months off prior yeah, to the bubble game. too. So like, I don't know. I I I think yes, I do think there needs to be smart scheduling early, but I don't think starting <laughs> December twenty-second is too ridiculous for the players. I, I do think it's going to make a quite a crunched, you know, draft free agency camp. Like, every, like that's going to be crazy. That is going to be a, just such a condensed, like, four-week period. But uh, I don't feel that bad. Like, just, you know, rest up early, LeBron. You were probably going to do that anyways off the title. All right. 
Um, I agree. I, I, I think there's a way to do this. And, you know, LeBron's already talking about cherry picking the first half of the season, which, frankly, he ought to be doing anyway. So there's ways we can make this work. Um, the game that I have tonight, I was trying to think of a, of a theme for you coming on, Anthony. And then all of a sudden I said, you know what, let's do a deep dive into Slater's. Uh, different famous Slaters. So I've got a quiz involving uh, different things involving the name Slater. I know and two, two. I can think off the top. I can of my only head. think of two off the top of my head. Well, it, it doesn't matter. They, you, you don't really, for the purposes of these games, this game, you could actually win it without knowing anything because it's multiple choice. Okay. And you guys both get equal opportunities. So you, you could literally have no idea who any of these people are and still win. Brian, true. That. That's not a question, but that's the correct okay. answer. All right. It's true. Sorry. So we, we begin. Uh, first question, we'll go to Brian first, then Anthony gets an opportunity to answer. Old-timey NBA basketball player Slater Martin. That's played, one of my two Slaters that I knew. That was the only one I could come up with. So I, for, I know one that you don't because I wasn't thinking of that. <laughs> played for three of the four following teams in his career. Which is the fake team? The New York Knicks, the Minneapolis Lakers, the St. Louis Hawks or the Syracuse Nationals. Well, I mean, the, the fake team is is obviously the Knicks. I mean, we all know that they're not a real basketball team. Hi, you. <laughs> you asking which team he didn't play for? I will say he never played for the Knicks. Okay, Anthony. Um, I assume I have to kind of diverge from that. Oh, um, no, he may be correct. You, oh, you, you okay, answer okay, it. You okay. think it's correct? I got you. Um. I feel like the two – I'll go with the uh, – what was the St. Louis team? St. Louis Hawks. Hawks. I'll go with the St. Louis Hawks. It is the Syracuse Nationals. He oh, won a bunch you? of titles with the uh, Minneapolis Lakers and then won, I believe, another one with the Hawks, um, who at one point were in our hometown. Yeah, so neither was for Slater Martin. Yeah, neither, neither one of you get a point. He, by the way, is a very, very white-looking dude playing professional basketball back then. Like he, he was like the poster boy for what you would uh, – Not like George Mikan? Not George <laughs> Well, no, George Mikan was freakishly tall for, for like that era. Uh, next one, and Anthony's going to go first on this. Okay. Surfing legend Kelly oh, got Slater. got this one. Uh, I, knew, <laughs> I knew that. That was one of my two. <laughs> Surfing legend Kelly Slater has performed with musicians like Ben Harper – Jack Johnson, and apparently, I didn't know this, fellow surfer Rob Machado. True. What instrument does he play? Drums, regular guitar, bass guitar, or keyboards? <laughs> does he refer to it as regular guitar when he plays? Uh, I guess it, well, I wasn't sure if it was electric or acoustic. I'm going to go keyboard. I feel like he's quirky. <laughs> I feel like he's Ryan, a drummer. You were both incorrect. He plays regular guitar. Okay. Regular. And I Six saw it from Sector Cruz, and I, I I almost went with uh, with the crowd there, but it, I didn't think it would be fair. Okay, well, look, the wisdom of crowds. If you want to, if you want to use it, go for it. These people might be idiots. You have no idea. Uh, Jackie Slater, Hall of Fame offensive tackle for the Rams, and a very vocal member of the press row. If you've ever watched a game near him, uh, he covers the team. Was a seven-time Pro Bowler over his career. How many of those Pro Bowl bids were consecutive? Four. Five, six, or seven? Brian goes question. first. I'll say six. I'm going all seven. I bet he just had a. That's usually how it goes in the NFL, right? You just got your chunk, good part of your career, <laughs> and then you just you're, you you know you have one bad knee injury and goodbye. 
Well, Brian, you thought the question was stupid, but you got it right. It was six. Six consecutive Pro Bowl. Uh, he played for 20 seasons, all with the Rams. Retired at age 41. Uh, speaking of Jackie wow. Slater. 41. I know. Nuts. Speaking of Jackie Slater, which of these movies did Arnold Schwarzenegger play a character named Jack Slater? The Last Action Hero, Red Heat, Stay Hungry, or Twins? Last Action Hero, Red stay Heat, hungry. Stay Hungry, or Twins? Stay Hungry is a great movie. Yeah. By the way, it's a great movie. Uh, Anthony that, goes first. So long, though. It's a great movie. I'm trying to remember what his name was in Twins. <laughs> twins. Wow. Uh, last Action Hero. It is the Last Action yeah. Hero. I'm down to oh, I I need an AC Slater uh, question in here. Maybe yep, yep. You know what? Spoiler alert, there is one coming. I, I no say, shit, was there's the an AC Slater question coming. <laughs> I figured, okay. I figured. I mean, come next, on. <laughs> next one, uh, Anthony's going to go first. Which of these Christian Slater movies has the highest audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes? So the audience score as opposed to the critics. All of the ones I'm about to name have an 83 or higher, but one is in the 90s. Heathers, The Name of the Rose, True Romance, Interview with the Vampire. True romance. I'll say Heather's. It's actually true romance. Uh, I thought it might be. On the audience score. Um, trying so, to extend the lead. Uh, two to one. I'm alive. I'm alive. How many Whoa. do we have? How many more? Andy, Andy always includes 23 clues in every game he plays. <laughs> yeah, probably four or five, something like that. Mary Jo <laughs> Slater, a longtime successful casting director in Hollywood, is related to Christian Slater. True or false? Brian goes first. True. False. It is true. That's Christian Slater's mother. Uh, helped him get into the biz. Three to one. That is fascinating. <laughs> I think it is. Uh, <laughs> all right. We will move on if, you, if you're not into this, but I enjoy it. In the movie Dazed and Confused, which of the founding fathers does the stoner character Slater say was in a cult and grew marijuana? George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, John Hancock. Oh, Anthony Slater goes first. Okay, can you repeat the question exactly? In the movie Dazed and Confused, yes. which of the following, which of the founding fathers does the stoner character Slater say was in a cult and was a marijuana grower? George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, or John Hancock? Hancock? I think it's Ben Franklin. It's actually George, George Washington. Washington. And he gives a lot of credit to Martha Washington for helping that operation grow. A.C. <laughs> Slater from there Saved by the Bell learns over the course of the show that his father changed his name from Sanchez to Slater in order to gain acceptance into which institution? The Naval Academy, the Air Force Academy, the U.S. Military Academy, or the Marine Academy? Or Brian the Utah, or the Utah Jazz. Uh, <laughs> this is a uh, tough one. That is hard. What am I, my, I will say the, uh, the the Naval Academy. Basically, Army, Navy, like and Air Force, Marine. Yeah, I feel like I need to differentiate because I need to I need to catch up. Uh, Marines. Oh, it's the U.S. Military Academy. And by the way, what a sad story that. Uh, I believe it was Lieutenant Colonel uh, Slater felt the need to change his name because of his heritage. Like, 
That's not the Amer- the, that was the America that he was fighting to defend, and yet they didn't accept him. Uh, final question, Brian up three to one, but as luck would have it, Anthony, this last one is worth, worth two, four. Four, four. Three. <laughs> no, four. <laughs> so you have four. So you have the opportunity to win. Uh, very exciting. You have the opportunity to win this. In Scotland, New Zealand, and Australia, a slater is another term for the woodlouse or what we in America <laughs> often refer to as a roly-poly. True or false? This part is true. Uh, a, a slater um, is the nickname for what they call a woodlouse, which is what we here call a roly-poly. The proper name is a woodlouse. True or false? A woodlouse, a.k.a. a slater, a.k.a. a roly-poly, is a crustacean. Like it's actually a crustacean. The woodlouse, a.k.a. the roly-poly. True or false? He goes first. Yes, Brian goes first. I don't think it's a crustacean. I think it's a different... It's like crustacean adjacent. So you're saying false? I'm saying false. I got to go true. I'm trying to win. You have to if you want to win. And you just won, Anthony Slater. It is, and I had no idea about this, and it kind of blew my mind. The roly-poly is a crustacean. What's the def, like full definition? Like crustacean, you just have to have a shell. Right? Like I just envision, obviously, like a, almost a sea. I was shocked by this, but it turns out that a roly-poly is actually a crustacean. There are crustaceans that essentially live on land, and the roly-poly is one of them. So Anthony Slater pulls this thing out at the end. I mean, I better win the Slater game, right? But so. You did. You just won the Slater and game. Roly-poly. You asked Anthony, what is a crustacean? Um, a crustacean is a an anth- an arthropod of the large, mainly aquatic group Crustacea, such as a crab, lobster, shrimp, or barnacle. Yes, I I had no idea of this, but uh, some good party trivia: a roly poly is actually a crustacean. I didn't you know what you know. need. All you need is a is a ch- chinidus calcurus or uh, chinidus again, exoskeleton of some kind. Yes, that's it. That's all you need. And some antenna. I'm going to quickly put the Woodlouse uh, Wikipedia entry on the uh, chat if anybody would like to cut and paste it. Learn more about the Woodlouse. This guy's talking about eating it. They well, taste he's, uh, he's from New Zealand. Uh, oh, this guy, okay. okay uh, there uh, you Nathan go. Mark. Um, so he, he would know. He's probably eating Stephen Adams. Eating yes, <laughs> you should. Next time you see Stephen Adams, you should ask him if he's ever eaten a Slater. Love and, Steven and, Adams. Covered him when he was a rookie. Yeah. He's a good dude. <laughs> yes, he seems is. like a good dude. Everybody seems to love Steven Adams. Um, do you have anything to promote? Anything? I mean, you got this piece up with Drew Holiday. Anything else you want to throw yeah. out there? Yeah. No, just, you know, just all the uh, stuff we're putting up at The Athletic. You know, a lot of actual true transactional offseason stuff is coming up. So draft. I'm probably going to be writing draft preview stuff next week. I mean, we're. We really are two. It's two weeks from tonight. And when we when I say that you could not be talking to two people who spend less time on college basketball, you know, I, I you know when you said like you know I don't get deep into that rabbit hole, I was like, cool. Um, Before we let you go, get a good player where they're drafting. Is it one of those like depthy? No, not really top end talent, but decent depth through the you know. Yeah, I would say that. That's kind of like the prevailing thought. Again, I'm not like absolute expert. I couldn't like rattle off 10 guys that, that would make sense and fit at, at whatever picks. Are they 30? Um, and yeah, I don't know. Um, 
Probably. I mean, that's on your scouting department, really. I feel like there's always like every year there's going to be two to three like hits between 25 and 45 um, to varying levels of hits. You really just want a rotation piece, but yeah, depends on their scouts, I guess. Really quick last question from me. Do you think there's any chance that the Warriors select LaMelo Ball? No. Uh, very, very low. Um, no, no. Yeah, I mean, he's... I, I, I'm so fa- I'm fascinated by where he might end up going. I think they go... I, I, I would guess Wiseman today. Um, and then if it's not Wiseman... I think if Edwards is still there, they think about Edwards just because, like, that's... Provi- that. that Seems like the highest upside wing. Um, and if it's not one of those two, I mean, I could see Denny Avija maybe, but I think they're going to maybe try to, to trade down is, if they, if is they he go the, Is he the Israeli guard? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. He's like, a, he's a like six nine, I think. Okay. Um, so if, if he doesn't go one, doesn't go two, like where do you think end up Lamelo ends up going? Like, I, well, again, we don't pay attention to this stuff. Yeah. Like, so I don't, you know, he's a really bad fit at one uh, because D'Angelo, Russell, and Lamelo Ball in the backcourt. No, not thanks. And I just, he's not, the Warriors are not going to pick him. Um, so that's no one, no two. And then you're sitting at three in the Hornets. Mm, I mean, they could, it would juice up you know, fan engagement. They're kind of pretty low there with that. Um, but also once you start getting the three, then I think the trade up opportunities come up where teams like maybe you jump up and get a LaMelo. And then obviously the scenario, everyone tries to float us like the Knicks. It, it feels like a very Knicks thing to do. Right. To- oh, I'm very, very excited at the prospect of the Hornets taking LaMelo ball and LaVar saying that there's nothing he can learn about basketball from Michael Jordan. That's going to, that's going to be really, really exciting. That's going to yeah. be a lot of fun. The truth is, if somebody wants LaMelo Ball and really believes in his superstar potential as both a brand and on court, you can trade up in this draft. Like, you know, if you give up a little, um, you, I mean, you can get up there. Um, all right. He writes for The Athletic. Does is His stuff's great. He, most of you, I assume, I would think, saw a lot of that, the video breakdowns, all the stuff he was doing during the playoffs as he was assigned from the dormant Warriors to the to the Lakers throughout the playoffs. Anthony Slater does awesome stuff. Uh, Despite tomorrow night, being saddled by Bill Oram. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you're done with that. Back uh, up with the Warriors, guys. It's a good crew up there. You didn't need you didn't need Bill dragging you down. It's going to be a fun year in California basketball, and uh, you know I won't even I won't even acknowledge the Bill Arm hatred. I, I can't handle it. <laughs> it's not hatred. It's, it's slander. It's slander. It's no, a, no. A, we love difference. Bill. We love him, but still slander. Right. I mean, you know. Um, so tomorrow night we're going to do something a little interesting. You know, as we mentioned, we are still trying to figure out if we have a president. We also had a a, a lot of statewide stuff going on. It's been a really interesting time locally. Just. Politics in general has been a in news has been kind of a, a fascinating place to be. Uh, our friend Libby Denkman from KPCC is going to join us tomorrow to kind of talk about what's happened in California and what's happened locally around LA. Um, not like a super partisan conversation, but like literally what's going on. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't know. I've been trying. No, she, she knows her stuff, She's she knows really her stuff. So it'll be good. really interesting. Friday, JB Long, Voice of the Lakers is going to join us. Got some stuff Rams. Uh, we're looking to get set up. Voice of the Lakers, Voice of the Rams. Thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then uh, next week, some good stuff we're lining up as well. Thanks again to Anthony Slater. We'll see everybody tomorrow. Donkey Needle on. <laughs>